This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager. Joining me, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kastensmith, who today is actually indoors in his own domicile. I'm like, I'm so happy for you. It's like you, you can work from home today, finally. Yeah, all of my family is out of the house, and I'm I'm in the kitchen. So there's no there's no scorching sun or pool pump or any of the craziness. I'm there's, at my kitchen counter right now. There there may be a little bit of echo off the cabinets, but we'll just we'll we'll handle that. That'll be okay. We'll get we'll get by with that. So this week uh, we're going to be looking at Psalm four. Uh, we've we kind of wrapped up our our little two part thing on reconciliation last week and. Uh, we're kind of coming into summer vacation. Well, we're not kind of coming in. We're coming into summer vacation time here. And so, uh, Sam, you and I were talking about what might be good to do. And we thought that maybe some, you know, some briefer sort of devotional studies, uh, mm-hmm. in some of the Psalms would be a good idea. And, uh, and we chose Psalm four as the first one. Now, I know there's different kinds of Psalms. There's Psalms of lament. There's Psalms of ascent. There's all, what kind of Psalm is Psalm four? So Psalm 4 is a psalm of lament, which makes it a, a you know, I, I think the if we're going to do a three-part series on the psalms, you know, I, I kind of want to stick with laments because that's where we are as a nation. Let's just be frank. You know, everybody's walking around with anxiety. Everybody feels unsettled. And so these are great psalms that can relate to us uh, in this time. I mean, David's going through <laughs> way worse things. Uh, than we are right now. But one of the things that, that I'm convinced of is as a nation, we have lost um, our understanding of the need to lament. And so in, in the book of Psalms, you have 150 Psalms, and a third of them are laments. And you don't see that reflected in Christianity today. You know, quite quite frankly, when we, when we show up on a Sunday morning and we, we go to worship services— you know, you don't hear praise songs that are offering up laments. No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, you know. But a third of God's hymn book that he puts in the scriptures are laments. And so basically what a lament does is it helps you to process pain. It's not just ignoring the fact that you're walking through a rough season and saying, you know, God, you're beautiful. That's absolutely true. But then ignoring the fact that you're really walking through a season that's breaking your heart. You know, where lament, the purpose of a psalm of lament is to take you from that place of brokenness and to walk you through expressions of how you believe all the good things about God, that he is sovereign, that he is good, and it doesn't ignore your pain, but it leads you to that point where you end the psalm trusting and praising God, and and it's a healing song to sing, actually. You know, as you walk through these psalms of lament— you know, they start very real, very raw, and by the time you get done with them, it's kind of rehearsed you through what your heart and your mind needs to do to get you to the other side, from the pain to the promise, and they're really helpful. I do feel like the the inability to lament has left us polarized. You know, that can begin to affect the way that you come to the Lord as well. I was reading a, 
a book actually called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy recently. And there's a, a passage in here that I thought was really convicting for me. But I'm ju- I just want to read this to you. He says, To pray in pain, even with its messy struggle and tough questions, is an act of faith where we open up our hearts to God. Prayerful lament is better than silence. Mm. However, I found many people are afraid of lament. They find it too honest, too open, too risky. But there's something far worse than silent despair. Giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Mm. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care, he doesn't hear, and nothing is ever going to change. People who believe this stop praying. They give up. And that's the worst thing you can do is give God the silent treatment when you're in the middle of something where the only solution you have is to go to him and Mm -hmm. to trust that he's going to do something with it, even if it's not what you want. Yeah. Well, that seems like a good segue to look at Psalm 4 and at David's lament here. Um, is it? Do you think it's important? Should we? Do we need to talk a little bit about what was going on with David historically at the time that he wrote this Psalm of Lament? Should is that does that is that context going to be helpful for people? Do we even know <laughs> what was well, going on? So there's really two seasons in David's life where he writes lots of these Psalms of Lament. One is the early part of his life where he's had to leave his family, he's had to leave his home, he's despised by the king, being hunted down by King Saul, and he is being chased, being wrongly persecuted, right? He's being, he's done nothing unfaithful, and yet he's suffering for it. And then you also find at the end of David's life, man, a lot. Mm-hmm. His, his world just crumbles. All of his kids, all of his kids, it seems like their lives come unglued. You've got Absalom who murders one of his other sons. You've got Amnon who rapes his daughter Tamar. You've got Adonijah who tries to steal the throne. You've got all of his sons just kind of devolve into this total anarchy. And Adonijah, when he tries to steal the throne, actually chases David out of the city. And, you know, David has to run away for his life. So basically what when, when David is coming with these psalms of lament, he's got a nation and lots of his closest friends and generals and even his own family that have turned against him, and it seems like everything is coming down on him, and he is in great fear um, of, for his circumstances, like mm-hmm. way, way more immediate and urgent than anything that we're facing personally right now. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, David's family is the area in which he has these kinds of troubles because when you think about the the life of King David, you know, and you talk about he's a man after God's own heart, yeah, he was – there were lots of areas in which he exhibited very godly behavior and, and great mm-hmm. faith and trust in God. But the one area – obviously, we all know about his great sin with Bathsheba, but just in general, the one area where it seemed like David just didn't care what God thought – was in how David regarded his family and his his uh, to say that he he was not exactly the uh, one woman monogamous good guy live he just it seemed like he brought a lot of the family stuff on himself is what I'm mm-hmm. suggesting that there was a lot about his life that was chaotic in that regard and it's almost kind of understandable because that's the area where he I think he turned aside from being a man after God's heart and he was a man after his own appetites and uh, mm-hmm. and it brought him great grief 
Yeah, and when when that comes in his life, because you know the beginning of his life, everything that you read about him, he's just this wonderful, godly man. He's caring for the for the less fortunate. He's you know taking Mephibosheth and you know his vanquished enemy Saul's what is it nephew. Everything seems really noble. He seems selfless and charitable, and everything is honorable. And you get to the Bathsheba moment where he stumbles and he has Uriah killed and it's those behaviors all the ways that his kids fall echo the way that David falls Mm. and so it's like you know Amnon sees Tamar and wants her and so he rapes his own sister because he saw her and wanted her well where did he learn that from you know apart from just human nature he saw his dad do it and you know, having people killed, not having a value for life. I mean, all of that, those kinds of plagues that start with David, then come into the lives of his children. And so there's, there's a great, um, sadness that is, is intermingled all through the remainder of David's life. And while he's gonna, you know, he's gonna write Psalm 51 and he's gonna repent and the Lord receives him back. Absolutely. But that legacy follows him for the rest of his life and is going to cause him pain for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Well, let's look at uh, Psalm 4, verse 1. How, how do these, these are broken down? Because like, I'm, I'm looking at how they're printed in my Bible, and they, they seem to break them into like almost like stanzas. Like It has verse 1, and then 2 and 3 together, and 4 and 5 together. Is that how they were organized in the... Like in, how they would have regarded them. We talk about this being God's hymn book. Are those kind of like the verses or if somebody's reading the Psalms and they see that broken up that way, is that considered like a song verse or something? So I don't think so. I think when people, when I think when the translators put these together in the Psalms, oftentimes you find couplets okay. where verses that are right next to each other. So like two and three are together and then four and five are together and then right. six and seven are together. Um, so it's like if you read one verse, you'll notice that the other verse kind of gives a key to it. Okay. Um, and I think that's the way that this psalm is written with I couplets. See. So he writes, uh, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Um, when we were talking about this earlier, you were talking about uh, the idea of relief. Um now that's not when we think of relief we think of something as removing the thing that's causing us distress. I I'm upset about something, I ask for relief. How do you give me relief? Oh, well you'll make the bad stuff go away. But that's really not what is going on. That's not what David is saying here. When mm-hmm. he says he's given me relief, it doesn't mean he's removed the thing that's that's bothering David, but it's something different. Yeah, so other places that use this same exact Hebrew word, like in, in Psalm 119, verse 32, the same word is, is translated, you enlarged my heart. Oh, um, okay. And so so when you read this, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness, you have enlarged me. It's like you have made me able. In the middle of my distress, you grew me. You made my heart able to withstand the distress. And another place in Psalm 18, verse 36, the same word is translated, you made room for me. And so if you ever, and you pointed this out to me right before we started recording, that distress actually means, what did you say it means in the Hebrew? It's like actually, a it's a it's a word, and I'm, I don't know if the T is silent or not, but transliterated, SAR, T-S-A-R. Okay. Um, but it means narrow or cramped or tight. Uh, so it refers to not having space, being pressed in. Mm-hmm. 
So you get the feel like it's using the language of claustrophobia. It is. If you've, if you've ever been in a season of life where it feels like you can't get a break from any direction and everything is closing in on you. You know, the two possible translations for this is it's like God is pushing them back. He's He is circling you and kind of pushing them back. It's like you're saying, okay, you gave me room to breathe when everything was closing in mm-hmm. is the idea. Like you gave me some relief. And so the translation's, you know, right. Uh, but it also can mean you you enlarged my heart so that I could meet the the distress. I also thought when 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 you said that and you talked about enlarging him so that he could meet the distress, I thought when we have something that seems in, insurmountable, there's whatever it is, there's something in our lives, there's something in our nation and our world that we feel like is so big, we just can't deal with it. We can't address it. We can't do anything. When God gets involved and when he enlarges our heart, enlarges our perspective, mm-hmm. we're able to it it's like the thing that seemed huge is less huge. It's smaller yeah. because of the relative size. Like so when God gets into the picture with you and when God enlarges you, when he gives you that room, it doesn't change anything about the problem that you're facing, but somehow it doesn't seem quite so overwhelming yeah. and towering. It changes you for right. the problem you're facing. Wow. And and this what what David is describing, you'll actually see that in this 8 verse psalm by the time you get to the end of it, this is exactly what happens to him, and you can you can pick it up in the language that he's laying down. And you know, one of the other things about this opening verse that I love um, is that day he comes very boldly, like he gives an imperative to the Lord, which is like, ooh, do we do that? You know, he says, "Answer me when I call." <laughs> Whoa, like <laughs> you know, do we talk to God like that? But he mingles that boldness with a great sense of humility. He recognizes his place, but because of how he knows that God loves him, he's willing to be bold. So he'll say, on one hand, answer me when I call. And then he'll say, oh, God of my righteousness. Well, why does he say that? Well, he recognizes that he has absolutely no right to stand before God on his own record. And so he attributes any righteousness that he has to the Lord. He calls him, O God of my righteousness. You're the one who has given me my righteousness, my standing to be able to come before you. And at the end of verse one, you see the humility again mixed with boldness. He says, be gracious to me. Like, what is grace? Well, it's it's a gift to you that you don't deserve. So mm-hmm. David is not saying, hey, I demand because you owe me. You know, he's coming saying, you absolutely do not owe me. But I know that you're a gracious God. And so then he lays down another bold imperative. Hear my prayer. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, I think understanding who we are in the Lord plays a huge part of this. Because if you see God as this objective judge who sits on the clouds and is very distant, the idea of being audaciously bold, that's offensive. How dare you? You know, you should never approach God like that. Who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. But if you believe what God has told you about yourself, that you are his child, you know, I've, I've got four little ones from, from ages three all the way to 12. And then I've got a couple of them that are still at that level where if I'm on a phone call, they come up to me, Hey, dad, 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 dad. Dad, and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm on the phone. Dad, 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 <laughs> dad. Well, why do they feel safe doing that? Because I'm their father, and they know that that I that I want to serve them. Now, of course, there's <laughs> that's not to say we should be impolite or anything like that, 
But this is the kind of thing, like a little kid does not stop bringing his requests to their father. Right. They, they have just an expectation that there's a love that's going to provide for their need. And that's, that's the kind of audacity. A little kid who's totally dependent has no problem saying, hey, dad, hey, dad, can we do it? Can we do it? Um, and I think that changes the way you see it. Yeah. So then David begins with his lament in verse 2. Oh, men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But no, uh, and there's a selah. What is the selah? Is like a is like a That's pause. A mystery. Nobody it, really uh, knows. <laughs> really, truly. I mean, there is debate over it, and everybody. You know, I've read tons of people's perspectives, and at the end, everybody goes, "But we don't know." Okay, so there's a selah in there, and we don't know why. Uh, verse three. But, but no, most people see it as like a pause, to like reflect. a pause. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. Uh, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Um, and I, I, again, I mean, what you're talking about there is one verse is setting up the other. You know, he's like, he's talking about the failure of men, which mm-hmm. is they love vain words, they seek after lies. And then he contrasts that with the actions of God, that God hears when he calls to him, that God has set apart the godly for himself. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's yeah. cool, you know. And and you got these shameless men who are not giving David a fair hearing. They're making up lies and everything else, but David is is kind of coming back to them. You know, he's still in self-defense mode it seems like right here in the beginning of the psalm. He's laying down all of his pain and all of his hurts and he's saying, "I want you to know that the Lord hears when I call to him." In other words, I might not have an audience with you, but I have an audience with the only one that matters because he sets apart the godly for himself. And that word set apart, it literally is meaning holiness. It's, you know, he has set me apart for himself. Mm. I am in another category because of who he is. And he hears when I call to him. And, you know, it's David is saying, I'm, I'm being, I'm getting tons of injustice when I look to men. But God hears me when mm-hmm. I call. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's kind of reassuring is that that David can come out and 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 ask this, can say, "God, how long?" Um, it's that the Lord is not offended at the yeah. fact that we struggle and we ask, "How long?" Yeah, you and I have been in ministry for for quite a long time, and you know when I have people come with the apologetic question, you know, like this is what I struggle with, this is where I have a hard time believing. It's the question essentially always boils down to this. If God is all powerful and if God is good, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Because if he's all powerful, he could stop it. And if he's good, he should want to stop it. So one of those two things seems to be failing. Why is there misery in the world? And because God puts one third of the Psalter in lament, it's not hiding from that. You know, right. David is facing injustice here that is not right. And so he's going to the Lord saying, hey, there's real pain going on here that's unjust. And how am I going to process this? You I mean, you go one of two directions. One is I don't trust you and I'm going to walk away from you because I'm in suffering right now. And then the second way to deal with it is what David is going to do. Mm. He says, verse four, this this part really is amazing. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent, Selah, 
offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Mm-hmm. When I was reading this, as we were, as, when we talked about, hey, we're going to do Psalm 4, and I was reading back over it again, once again, I was just struck by the fact that to me here, it seems like David is actually worried now. He's concerned for the people that are p- opposing him. You know, mm-hmm. be angry and do not sin. I don't think that that's, that's not disingenuous. He, he doesn't want them to sin. He wants them to offer their sacrifices and put their trust in the Lord and, you know, it seems like he's worried about the guys that are opposing him, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. But I think even beyond that is he knows everything that's in his flesh at this moment. <laughs> we we <laughs> can relate to this, right? You know, they're they're coming against me. They're saying lies to me. I'm imagining Facebook, honestly, right now. Ancient Facebook here. Yeah, they're 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 moving their agenda in ways that are destructive, and I can't stand it anymore. And I want to just scorch the earth where they're at. And David kind of stops for a moment, and he checks himself. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And, you know, Paul's going to pick this up in Philippians. And, you know, when he offers the translation of it, it's really kind of interesting how he applies this. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And so where David says, you know, ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent, Paul's going to translate that and say, give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, when you open your mouth, when you respond in anger, guess what you're going to do? You're going to give an opportunity for the devil and you're going to sow division and you're going to make people more entrenched and you're just going to scorch the earth. And at the end of it, you might feel better for a moment, but then you're going to regret the fact that you have all these destroyed relationships around you and you're going to regret the fact that the devil has had an an opportunity to sow division and as I'm speaking as somebody who knows this really well, <laughs> you know, as a mm-hmm. as a passionate guy, I've seen where I've not kept silent um, and felt very righteous about what I was saying and still feel same convictions about certain things, but then voiced them in a way that's angry and it never goes well. Mm. Um, and so David does two things here. When he says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds. He's saying, okay, you've got these, you've got these pains, you've got these things that you're really concerned about. He doesn't say, now ignore them. They don't exist. You know, they, or, you know, just, just try to minimize them so that they don't bother you so much. No, he says, I want you to wrestle with them. I want you to go to your bed and I want you to ponder them in your hearts on your beds and just be quiet. Think about them. Think about them. Like meditate on them. And then he offers this next thing, which is the, the humility serving <laughs> of mm-hmm. this. Psalm where he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So why does he transition like that? You know, he goes from, okay, I want you to lay in your bed and I want you to think of all the ways that the world has wronged you, okay? And be quiet. Wrestle with them. Right. And then I want you to offer right sacrifices. And if you're you're David or you're me at that point, what you want to do is go, but... (laughs) and what the lord speaking through david in the psalm is saying okay now you go and you offer sacrifices what what does a sacrifice mean it means that you're coming to acknowledge your repentance that's what you would sacrifice for to acknowledge your sin to ask for forgiveness you're you're coming to acknowledge thanksgiving there were a lot of reasons why you would come and offer sacrifice in the ancient world but why does the lord take you there well here's why 
Because if I'm in my bed and I'm thinking, they've wronged me, they've hurt me, they've come after me, they have destroyed, they're trying to destroy me, and I'm so angry and I want to hurt them. And then God says, okay, now offer your sacrifices. Well, what does that mean? That means I have to go to the Lord now and say, I've done all that to you. Mm. I've, I've, I've tried to tear you down. I've tried to ignore you. I've, I've taken your kingdom and I've, and I've made it all about me and my agenda. And, and now I have to come to you. And the very thing that I'm angry at all of my enemies about, now I have to stand before you and offer right sacrifices. Ooh. And how did you respond to me? You know, Psalm 51, which is David's Psalm of Repentance, says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you won't despise. So now when you go before the Lord and you take all of your offenses, which, by the way, just in case you don't know, far outweigh the gravity of evil of what someone does to you because you've done those to God. And how does the Lord receive you? He, his mercies are new every morning. Mm-hmm. He embraces you. He welcomes you as a son or daughter. He cleans you up. He's, he's desirous for reconciliation. He brings you near. And so in your anger, recognize now, okay, you ponder in your heart. Okay, you got it. Now come offer sacrifices to me and reflect what you've done to me and how I've responded to you. And that puts you in your place pretty quick. I want to uh, throw out something else here for consideration because um, one of the things that people who are not part of the Christian faith will object to is when a Christian is trust is is encountered by uh, some extremely difficult situation or I mean some tragedy befalls you or there's some horrendous situation the res- we'll say you know what put your trust in God and what happens to people that are outside looking in is and I've heard this Sam I don't know how many times like that's so easy and I'm like when you look here it's the process is as you say all right, I'm angry, I'm upset, and I start by wrestling with this, you know, mm-hmm. myself with God. And and then, as you say, offering the sacrifices, having to acknowledge all these things before the Lord, and then I finally come to that place where I put my trust in God. So when we mm-hmm. say that, we're just kind of short-circuiting the conversation. There's a lot of things that go into that, put your trust in the Lord. The response of, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord when I'm overwhelmed with an unrighteous, unjust situation, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. I I am, but there's mm-hmm. going to be a process I have to go through yeah. here, and some of it's going to be shutting my mouth up and wrestling in silence with this, and then it's going to be going before the Lord and confessing mm-hmm. how I failed, and that process leads me to the place yeah. where I can hand over that injustice to him. Yeah, it's, and he commands It's, it's not angry. as easy. It's not as easy as people seem to think we make it. We're not giving lip service. It's a true wrestling match to get there. <laughs> and by the way, when you, it's not just unbelievers who get annoyed at that. Believers, if, if I'm struggling in something that's really painful and somebody comes up to me and says, oh, just trust in the Lord and get over it, I, w- I want to punch them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Like there's a process here, and the Bible is honest enough to, to acknowledge it. Yeah, be angry, but check yourself. Don't give an occasion for the enemy to do something destructive with us. So ponder in your bed, be angry in the quiet of your own home, but be silent, and then come to me. Um and, and, what, and that's how you wrestle. And so for the for the believers that we're talking to that are like, well, then what am I supposed to say to my friend who's struggling with anger or, or a situation? You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to 
to rend your own clothes and sit next to them in the sackcloth and ashes and just sit with them in that moment and in that time. Like you say, when they come and go, oh, just trust the Lord, Sam, it'll all be fine, and you just want to turn them inside out. You know, <laughs> It doesn't go well for it, Job's friends. It Let's doesn't. learn a lesson from it, them. It doesn't, you know. But <laughs> So what should Job's friends have done? Job's friends should have come and sat next to him and just been there for him and gone through those, that process with him that – you know, that's the the correct response is not to dismiss it. It's never to dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the one of the worst things my wife can do if we if we get into an argument, which is getting <laughs> rarer and rarer with marriage, but it still happens. But one of the one of the low blows that she can pull is right in when we're in the the heat of the battle, and you know I'm wanting to win and prove her wrong, and you know she's less about that, and she'll look at me and say, "Can we pray?" And oh. everything in me wants to go. No, I want to win. <laughs> but I know, yeah. and here's the part that makes me angry when she says that. It's all flesh. It's all wicked. But the part in me that drives me, I can't go before the Lord with this pettiness and right. be angry because I know how He treats me. Right. And I feel really small when I'm reminded of how wildly he loves me. And by the way, I still think that's kind of a low blow (laughs) in that moment. But it really does. Like, it checks Uh, me, and it's like, man, I'm such an idiot. But we want to win, and we want our enemies to know that we win. You know, it's that sinful self-absorption where we want to be vindicated publicly, and we care more about that than we do what God wants. What my wife will do to submarine me when I'm off on one of my you know, I think we should do this, and it, I think we should, I think, you know, one of those type of, of rants and raves, <laughs> is she'll look at me and she'll say, well, if you think so, and I'm Don't. like, yes, exactly. It's like, all of a sudden, you're like, what? That just brings you right to the full stop, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I between those lines <laughs> oh i'm way wrong here you know and uh yeah so they, they it is funny how they have their gentle ways of bringing the loud mouths they're married to uh to a halt yeah. uh, but it's very effective like you say it's hard to go before the lord and say but god but she but god but she you know and the lord is like oh no no but you <laughs> here's all the things i have forgiven you yeah you know, I, I remember in in my early Christian walk, one of the things, and this was kind of a mental exercise, and I don't even, I don't know that I would even recommend this, but it was very powerful for me when I would be really caught in a cycle of sin or a battle with sin, or I'd be going through a dry spell or whatever. I and and you know, like just thinking of of the cross, the gospel didn't move me. I felt just kind of stagnant. I would always do a mental exercise of taking all of my sin. And knowing what they ultimately cost. And I would try to envision myself at the foot of the cross and shrugging at Jesus like, eh, this doesn't move me. And that would that, that picture would always crush me. And it would soften my heart. And, you know, when, when David in verse 5 here says, offer right sacrifices, well, we don't do that anymore. You know, we don't, we don't have a sacrificial system. And the reason why we don't have a sacrificial system it's because the very God that David is praying to in the middle of his grief became a man mm. and became the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so when we read Psalm 4 or 5, man, it has so much more gravity than it would have had for David because we know what that right sacrifice is. Mm. And it was entirely the cost of God. And so we might begin the psalm going, God, do you hear us? Do you care? 
when you get to verse 5 and you consider what the right sacrifice is, there's no room to question whether God cares. Yeah. He put yeah. his son on a cross for you. Yeah. And therefore, trust in the Lord yeah. because he is he's gone to great expense to redeem you and your life. And I don't know that that's a bad world. I don't know that that's a bad mental exercise. Honestly, I think that um I don't think there's anything bad about that. I think that when we have a picture of what Christ went through for us, that's, you know, can you ask the question, does God love me after that? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's really, um, so verse six, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And verse seven, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. The way I read verse six, mm-hmm. you know, the, the beginning of this is David talking about all of these powerful men who are looking at him and lying about him and, you know, his kingship or whatever. And they're, they're trying to tear him down, right? Mm-hmm. And so verse six, David is saying, Hey, there are many who say, who will show us some good, which, and that should be the end of the quotation mark. The ESV puts it after the next sentence, which is, pretty unique. The NIV does not. The NASB translation does not. So it should be, there are many who say, quote, who will show us some good, end quote. And it's like David is taking the charge as though like everybody's saying, you know, he's no good. He's given us no good. He hasn't taken care of us. And David's response to that is, you know what? It's not about what I can give you. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And so they're coming to him saying, you're going to help us. You should be doing this. You're the king. You're our salvation. You, 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 you. And David goes, uh-uh. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You're our only hope. And then I love this because he's he's lamenting the fact that there's so many who've looked at him and said, you're not enough. And they turned on him. And in verse 7, he says, to the Lord, because remember, he started this psalm. What's his great lament? His great lament is, everybody's turned on me, and everybody's telling lies in me, and I want them to you know, come back to me, and I want them to celebrate me, and I want, I want their love again, and I feel abandoned. And in verse 7, remember, like the transition happens in verse 5 when he recognizes how good God's been to him. Mm-hmm. But then he's now saying, wait a minute. You've put more joy in my heart than all of them combined have when they have grain and wine abounding to come and give to me. So what do I, what, and the ultimate scheme of things, like I already have all the blessing I ever need in you, Lord. I don't need them. Like, sure, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have a relationship with them, but ultimately you are all I need. Mm-hmm. You've given me more joy in the way that you've loved me than all the things that have been tearing my heart apart for the last few days that I'm coming before you now. You're enough, God. Mm. He is the good. Mm. So David then says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That is such a remarkable statement because (laughs) there's nothing... There is nothing that denotes peace and safety more than being able to lie down and sleep. If there's anything in that keeps me up at night, it's this idea that, you know, this feeling of not being safe or, or not being at peace, you know, they, mm-hmm. um, in order for, I mean, what David is describing here is that, that feeling of complete contentment and safety 
because of the because it is God that makes him dwell in safety. I just think that's a remarkable statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I mean, you you can trace down. You know, we started with how we need these prayers of lament more. We mm-hmm. need we need to just recognize that God invites them. And so, like, if you're if you're tracing out the psalm, you know, what should we be doing if we're if we're eaten up with anxiety and stress and we're angry about the the condition of the world right now? Well, what does that look like? Okay, well, David starts by saying, like, Lord, I need you to hear me. I'm I'm hurting. I I recognize that my only ability to stand before you is your grace, mm. right? I, it's a privilege for me to come before you, but I really need you to hear me. And then just laying it down in the most honest terms you have with God. Nothing's hidden from him anyway. So just laying it down, Lord, this is absolutely grieving me. I can't take it. I feel like I'm running out of of, of steam here. Like I am really struggling with this. I need you right now. And laying down real pains, like real hurts, like some of them are going to be extreme and some of them are going to be, you know, annoyances or whatever, but lay them down. And, and then what he calls you to, when, as you're laying down those very real struggles, ponder in your heart and be quiet, mm-hmm. right? Don't burn the world down, but then go before and recognize how he has responded to the ways that you have failed him. Put yourself in, in the right place understand how good he is think on the ways that he has loved you and then like you said at the very beginning when you begin to realize that the god of the universe became a man and was willing to die for me that he there's no expense that he would not spare to purchase me for eternity he loves me that much he rejoices with singing over me when I really believe that the God of the universe has my back and loves me to that degree, then all of a sudden all of these problems <laughs> seem pretty petty by comparison. Mm-hmm. And so you measure your request against the reality. And by the way, you're looking at all the ways that he's been faithful to you all through your past. And then when you lay down, you go, okay, I know who you are. I know I can trust you with this pain. And I'm giving it to you. And you sleep in peace. Mm. Hmm. And the psalm of lament winds up as as a psalm of peace. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. lament is the bridge from pain to promise. Yeah. And and, and it's how you get to praise. Yeah. And peace. And sleep. Yeah. There you and, go. You know. So if we come and tell you that it looks like you need a nap, you'll just have to understand. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we hope that you've enjoyed uh, this look at Psalm 4 today, that uh, that uh, the outline of this lament psalm is something that you can look at as, as, a, as a pattern for you to maybe find some promise and some peace and some rest in the midst of this chaos. Uh, don't be afraid of the idea of lament. As Sam says, it's the bridge that gets us to the promise and the peace from where we are now in pain. If you'd like to correspond with us, uh, we have an email address where you can send us email. It's outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, vistachurch.com. 
You can find all the uh, back episodes of Out of Water there on our website at riovistachurch.com slash outofwater, as well as on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on Google Play. Uh, we're going to be, uh, I guess, we're going to be putting together, I think, Sam, another couple special episodes. You're going to be working on that? or Yes, uh, we're going to come out. I'm going to do a couple of more lament psalms over the next couple of weeks as we're going on vacation. So the next two episodes to come are going to be uh, two, uh, two psalms, but it's going to be me solo, so it's not going to be as <laughs> it's not going to be as good. Um, but it'll be walking through psalms, and at a minimum, it's going to be praying the psalms to the Lord and just a, an exercise in worship. And it's then, really beautiful how God structures these psalms, and that's something of, of what we're going to talk about as well. Yeah, and then uh, Batman and Robin here will be back on uh, July nineteenth. I think will be our, our our first broadcast back with the two of us. But uh, we'll have some fresh content up there for you. We hope you enjoy it while uh, while we're taking a little break here over the uh, next couple of weeks here in July. So Sam will be back next week with more, and he looks forward to seeing you then. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.